Book Five, Chapter Fourteen of Ben Hur. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Ben Hur, A Tale of the Christ, by Lew Wallace, Book Five, Chapter Fourteen. When the dash for position began, Ben Hur, as we have seen, was on the extreme left of the six. For a moment, like the others, he was half-blinded by the light in the arena, yet he managed to catch sight of his antagonists and divine their purpose. At Masala, who was more than an antagonist to him, he gave one searching look. The air of passionless hauteur, characteristic of the fine patrician face, was there as of old, and so was the Italian beauty, which the helmet rather increased. But more— it may have been a jealous fancy, or the effect of the brassy shadow in which the features were at the moment cast, still the Israelite thought he saw the soul of the man as through a glass, darkly, cruel, cunning, desperate, not so excited as determined, a soul in a tension of watchfulness and fierce resolve. In a time not longer than was required to turn to his fore again, Ben-Hur felt his own resolution hardened to a like temper. At whatever cost, at all hazards, he would humble this enemy. Prize, friends, wagers, honour, everything that can be thought of as a possible interest in the race was lost in the one deliberate purpose. Regard for life, even, should not hold him back. Yet there was no passion on his part, no blinding rush of heated blood from heart to brain and back again, no impulse to fling himself upon fortune. He did not believe in fortune far otherwise. He had his plan, and, confiding in himself, he settled to the task never more observant, never more capable. The air about him seemed aglow with a renewed and perfect transparency. When not halfway across the arena, he saw that Masala's rush would, if there was no collision, and the rope fell, give him the wall. That the rope would fall, he ceased as soon to doubt and further it came to him a sudden flash-like insight that Masala knew it was to be let drop at the last moment. Pre-arrangement with the editor could safely reach that point in the contest. And it suggested, what more Roman-like than for the official to lend himself to a countryman who, besides being so popular, had also so much at stake. There could be no other accounting for the confidence with which Masala pushed his four forward the instant his competitors were prudentially checking their fours in front of the obstruction, no other except madness. It is one thing to see a necessity and another to act upon it. Ben-Hur yielded the wall for the time. The rope fell, and all the fours but his sprang into the course after urgency of voice and lash. He drew head to the right, and with all the speed of his Arabs, darted across the trails of his opponents, the angle of movement being such as to lose the least time and gain the greatest possible advance. So, while the spectators were shivering at the Athenian's mishap, and the Sidonian, Byzantine, and Corinthian were striving, with such skill as they possessed, to avoid involvement in the ruin, Ben-Hur swept around and took the course neck and neck with Masala, though on the outside. The marvellous skill shown in making the change thus from the extreme left across to the right, without appreciable loss, did not fail the sharp eyes upon the benches. The circus seemed to rock and rock again with prolonged applause. Then Esther clasped her hands in glad surprise. 
Then Sambalat, smiling, offered his hundred sestertii a second time without a taker, and then the Romans began to doubt, thinking Masala might have found an equal, if not a master, and that in an Israelite. And now, racing together, side by side, a narrow interval between them, the two neared the second goal. The pedestal of the three pillars there, viewed from the west, was a stone wall in the form of a half-circle, around which the course and opposite balcony were bent in exact parallelism. Making this turn was considered in all respects the most telling test of a charioteer. It was, in fact, the very feat in which Orastes failed. As an involuntary admission of interest on the part of the spectators, a hush fell over all the circus, so that for the first time in the race the rattle and clang of the cars plunging after the tugging steeds were distinctly heard. Then, it would seem, Masala observed Ben-Hur, and recognized him, and at once the audacity of the man flamed out in an astonishing manner. "'Down, Eros! Up, Mars!' he shouted, whirling his lash with practised hand. "'Down, Eros! Up, Mars!' he repeated, and caught the well-doing Arabs of Ben-Hur a cut the like of which they had never known. The blow was seen in every quarter. The amazement was universal. The silence deepened. Up on the benches behind the consul the boldest held his breath, waiting for the outcome. Only a moment thus, then, involuntarily, down from the balcony, as thunder falls, burst the indignant cry of the people. The four sprang forward, affrighted. No hand had ever been laid upon them except in love. They had been nurtured ever so tenderly, and as they grew their confidence in man became a lesson to men beautiful to see. What should such dainty natures do under such indignity but leap as from death? Forward they sprang as with one impulse, and forward leaped the car. Past question every experience is serviceable to us. Where got Ben-Hur the large hand and mighty grip which helped him now so well? Where but from the oar with which so long he fought the sea? And what was this spring of the floor under his feet to the dizzy eccentric lurch with which in the old time the trembling ship yielded to the beat of staggering billows, drunk with their power? So he kept his place, and gave the four free rein, and called to them in soothing voice, trying merely to guide them round the dangerous turn. And before the fever of the people began to abate, he had backed the mastery. Nor that only. On approaching the first goal, he was again side by side with Masala, bearing with him the sympathy and admiration of every one, not a Roman. So clearly was the feeling shown, so vigorous its manifestation, that Masala, with all his boldness, felt it unsafe to trifle further. As the cars whirled round the goal, Esther caught sight of Ben-Hur's face, a little pale, a little higher raised, otherwise calm, even placid. Immediately a man climbed on the entablature at the west end of the division wall, and took down one of the conical wooden balls. A dolphin on the east entablature was taken down at the same time. In like manner the second ball and second dolphin disappeared, and then the third ball and third dolphin. Three rounds concluded, still Masala held the inside position, still Ben-Hur moved with him side by side, still the other competitors followed as before. 
the contest began to have the appearance of one of the double races which became so popular in Rome during the later Caesarian period. Massala and Ben-Hur in the first, the Corinthian, Sidonian, and Byzantine in the second. Meantime the ushers succeeded in returning the multitude to their seats, though the clamour continued to run the rounds, keeping, as it were, even pace with the rivals in the course below. In the fifth round the Sidonians succeeded in getting a place outside Ben-Hur, but lost it directly. The sixth round was entered upon without change of relative position. Gradually the speed had been quickened, gradually the blood of the competitors warmed with the work. Men and beasts seemed to know alike that the final crisis was near, bringing the time for the winner to assert himself. The interest which from the beginning had centred chiefly in the struggle between the Roman and the Jew, with an intense and general sympathy for the latter, was fast changing to anxiety on his account. On all the benches the spectators bent forward motionless, except as their faces turned following the contestants. Ildrum quitted combing his beard, and Esther forgot her fears. "'A hundred sestertii on the Jew!' cried Sembalat to the Romans under the consul's awning. There was no reply. "'A talent, or five talents, or ten, choose ye!' He shook his tablets at them defiantly. "'I will take thy sestertii,' answered a Roman youth, preparing to write. "'Do not so,' interposed a friend. "'Why?' "'Messala hath reached his utmost speed. See him lean over his chariot-rim, the reins loose his flying ribbons. Look, then, at the Jew!' The first one looked. "'By Hercules!' he replied, his countenance falling. The dog throws all his weight on the bits. I see, I see, if the gods help not our friend, he will be run away with by the Israelite. No, not yet. Look, Jove with us, Jove with us! The cry, swelled by every Latin tongue, shook the Valeria over the consul's head. If it were true that Masala had attained his utmost speed, the effort was with effect— Slowly, but certainly, he was beginning to forge ahead. His horses were running with their heads low down. From the balcony their bodies appeared actually to skim the earth. Their nostrils showed blood-red in expansion. Their eyes seemed straining in their sockets. Certainly the good steeds were doing their best. How long could they keep the pace? It was but the commencement of the sixth round. On they dashed. As they neared the second goal, Ben-Hur turned in behind the Roman's car. The joy of the Masala faction reached its bound. They screamed and howled and tossed their colours, and Samballat filled his tablets with wagers of their tendering. Malik, in the lower gallery, over the gate of triumph, found it hard to keep his cheer. He had cherished the vague hint dropped to him by Ben-Hur of something to happen in the turning of the western pillars. It was the fifth round— Yet the something had not come, and he had said to himself, The sixth will bring it. But, lo, Ben-Hur was hardly holding a place at the tail of his enemy's car. Over in the east end, Simonides' party held their peace. The merchant's head was bent low. Ildrum tugged at his beard, and dropped his brows till there was nothing of his eyes but an occasional sparkle of light. Esther scarcely breathed. Eros alone appeared glad. Along the home stretch, sixth round, 
Masala leading, next him Ben-Hur, and so close it was the old story. First flew Eumelus on Ferration steeds, with those of Tros bold Diomed succeeds. Close on Eumelus's back they puffed the wind, and seemed just mounting on his car behind. Full on his neck he feels the sultry breeze, and, hovering o'er, their stretching shadows sees. Thus to the first goal and round it. Masala, fearful of losing his place, hugged the stony wall with perilous clasp. A foot to the left, and he would have been dashed to pieces. Yet when the turn was finished, no man, looking at the wheel-tracks of the two cars, could have said, Here went Masala, there the Jew. They left but one trace behind them. As they whirled by, Esther saw Ben-Hur's face again, and it was whiter than before. Simonides, shrewder than Esther, said to Ilderim, the moment the rivals turned into the course, "'I am no judge, good Sheikh, if Ben-Hur be not about to execute some design. His faith hath that look.' To which Ilderim answered, "'Saw you how clean they were, and fresh? By the splendour of God, friend, they have not been running. But now watch!' One ball and one dolphin remained on the entablatures, and all the people drew a long breath, for the beginning of the end was at hand. First the Sidonian gave the scourge to his four, and, smarting with fear and pain, they dashed desperately forward, promising for a brief time to go to the front. The effort ended in promise. Next the Byzantine and the Corinthian each made the trial with like result, after which they were practically out of the race. Thereupon, with a readiness perfectly inexplicable, all the factions except the Romans joined hope in Ben-Hur, and openly indulged their feeling. "'Ben-Hur! Ben-Hur!' they shouted, and the blent voices of the many rolled overwhelmingly against the consular stand. From the benches above him as he passed, the favour descended in fierce injunctions. "'Speed thee, Jew! Take the wall now! On!' Loose the Arabs! Give them rein and scourge! Let him not have the turn on thee again, now or never! Over the balustrade they stooped low, stretching their hands imploringly to him. Either he did not hear, or could not do better, for halfway round the course and he was still following, at the second goal even still no change. And now to make the turn Masala began to draw in his left-hand steeds, an act which necessarily slackened their speed. His spirit was high. More than one altar was richer of his vows. The Roman genius was still president. On the three pillars, only six hundred feet away, were fame, increase of fortune, promotions, and a triumph ineffably sweetened by hate, all in store for him. That moment Malik, in the gallery, saw Ben-Hur lean forward over his Arabs and give them the reins. Out flew the many-folded lash in his hand, over the backs of the startled steeds it writhed and hissed, and hissed and writhed again and again, and though it fell not, there was both sting and menace in its quick report, and as the man passed thus from quiet to resistless action, his face suffused, his eyes gleaming, along the reins he seemed to flash his will. And instantly not one, but the four as one, answered with a leap that landed them alongside the Roman's car. Masala, on the perilous edge of the goal, heard, but dared not look to see what the awakening portended. From the people he received no sign, 
Above the noises of the race there was but one voice, and that was Ben-Hur's. In the old Aramaic, as the sheikh himself, he called to the Arabs, "'On, Altair! On, Rigel! What Antares dost thou linger now? Good horse! Oh-ho, Aldebaran! I hear them singing in the tents. I hear the children singing and the women, singing of the stars, of Altair, Antares, Rigel, Aldebaran. Victory! And the song will never end. Well done! Home to-morrow, under the black tent. Home! On, Antares! The tribe is waiting for us. The master is waiting. Tis done! "'Tis done! Ha! ha! We have overthrown the proud! The hand that smote us is in the dust! Ours the glory! Ha! ha! Steady! The work is done! So ho! Rest!' There had never been anything of the kind more simple, seldom anything so instantaneous. At the moment chosen for the dash, Masala was moving in a circle round the goal. To pass him, Ben-Hur had to cross the track, and good strategy required the movement to be in a forward direction, that is, on a like circle limited to the least possible increase. The thousands on the benches understood it all. They saw the signal given, the magnificent response, the four close outside Masala's outer wheel, Ben-Hur's inner wheel behind the other's car. All this they saw. Then they heard a crash loud enough to send a thrill through the circus, and quicker than thought, out over the course a spray of shining white and yellow flinders flew. Down on its right side toppled the bed of the Roman's chariot. There was a rebound as of the axle hitting the hard earth, another and another. Then the car went to pieces, and Masala, entangled in the reins, pitched forward headlong. To increase the horror of the sight by making death certain, the Sidonian, who had the wall next behind, could not stop or turn out. Into the wreck full speed he drove, then over the Roman, and into the latter's four, all mad with fear. Presently, out of the turmoil, the fighting of horses, the resound of blows, the murky cloud of dust and sand, he crawled, in time to see the Corinthian and Byzantine go on down the course after Ben-Hur, who had not been an instant delayed. The people arose, and leaped upon the benches, and shouted and screamed, those who looked that way caught glimpses of Masala, now under the trampling of the fours, now under the abandoned cars. He was still. They thought him dead. But far the greater number followed Ben-Hur in his career. They had not seen the cunning touch of the reins by which, turning a little to the left, he caught Masala's wheel with the iron-shod point of his axle, and crushed it. But they had seen the transformation of the man, and themselves felt the heat and glow of his spirit, the heroic resolution, the maddening energy of action with which, by look, word, and gesture, he so suddenly inspired his Arabs. And such running! It was rather the long leaping of lions in harness, but for the lumbering chariot it seemed the four were flying. When the Byzantine and Corinthian were halfway down the course, Ben-Hur turned the last goal, and the race was won. The consul arose. The people shouted themselves hoarse. The editor came down from his seat and crowned the victors. The fortunate man among the boxers was a low-browed, yellow-haired Saxon, of such brutalized face as to attract a second look from Ben-Hur, who recognized a teacher with whom he himself had been a favorite at Rome. From him the young Jew looked up and beheld Simonides and his party on the balcony. They waved their hands to him. Esther kept her seat. 
but Iris arose and gave him a smile and a wave of her fan, favours not the less intoxicating to him, because we know, O oh reader, they would have fallen to Masala had he been the victor. The procession was then formed, and midst the shouting of the multitude which had had its will, passed out of the gate of triumph, and the day was over. End of chapter.